0: Following World War II, Germany was divided physically and ideologically by the Cold War. This represented the potential for World War III and an existential crisis to humanity. In the 1980s, there was a belief that thawing tensions between the world's two superpowers would provide an enduring peace. In the summer of 1987, when U.S. President Ronald Reagan traveled to West Berlin, he delivered a famous speech directed partially toward Soviet Secretary General Mikhail Gorbachev. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A little more than two years later, the obliteration of the Berlin Wall began. This month, the world celebrated the 30th anniversary of the wall's demise. The follow the wall symbolizes a series of events that led to freedoms and opportunities for hundreds of millions of people around the world. It also facilitated a period of time where capital and people moved around the world in a way we've never seen before. It could be argued that this movement of money and brain power enabled many of the scientific and technological advances that allow us to live longer, safer, more fulfilling lives. For a year, I knew I wanted to join the celebration in Berlin, and I wanted to share it with my three-year-old daughter. Together, we spent a week in Germany. I was certain I would come home with a story about how Berlin and the demise of the wall was a microcosm of the world we live in today. It turns out the story is a lot more complicated than I expected. Flying back to the United States, my daughter slept next to me as I jotted down three lessons I took away from the trip. The first was about the challenges and benefits of traveling seven time zones away with a little child. The second lesson is the story I thought I would tell. When the wall came down in 1989 and Germany reunified a year later, Most citizens in East Germany were presented far greater opportunities than if the wall hadn't come down and the communist governments hadn't reformed. But there were some East Germans for whom life would not improve. For many older, uneducated, and resistant East Germans, life passed them by. This is exactly what has happened in the US and other countries around the world over the last decade. And it will most certainly happen in the coming decade. Most people around the world will enjoy the benefits of scientific and technological advancements. Artificial intelligence and robots will make our lives safer and more convenient. We will live longer, and we will have the opportunity to learn more about ourselves than ever before. But there will be a segment of the population who are unable or unwilling to take advantage of these changes and advances. They will be passed by. This is part of the story, but it isn't the whole story. Which leads me to the third lesson. After talking to and observing people in Germany, it became clear that a very important part of the story is how complex the world has become for most people, how frightening that complexity is, and how many people are seeking out simple, understandable answers to the strange and complicated world in which we are currently living. That is the real story of berlin 30 years after the wall. Well, they took the wall down so other people could see their family. That's good, right? Yeah. Well, wouldn't it be horrible to not see your family? No. And then what would they what would happen after it fell to the ground? People would see their family. I have this superpower. Maybe you have it too. The superpower is the ability to plan for a very challenging situation and to simplify it so much that I fail to think about all the small things that could go wrong. I used this superpower when I decided to bring my daughter with me on this trip. In my mind, this curious three-year-old and I would have an incredible experience together. We'd bond and we'd be closer than ever. Notice I didn't say anything about how we would get around, where I would do laundry, what we would eat where she would nap, how I would take her to the bathroom while we were out. Logistics didn't enter my mind until about three days before we left. Then it started to occur to me that for a week she wouldn't be more than 30 feet away from me. I admitted sheepishly that I might have bit off more than I could chew. Fortunately, the list of challenges that we faced is much shorter than I thought it might have been. Jet lag was an issue, but not a huge one. I completely overestimated the amount of time and distance my daughter could or would want to walk. That meant a lot of shoulder rides. I failed her completely nutritionally, and we will need to introduce fruits and vegetables back into her diet. But we overcame these challenges, and I used some of the leadership skills I've developed over the years in order to do it. I set very clear expectations going into the trip. I helped her understand the dangers of being in a big city. She needed to stay close to Daddy and couldn't run away. I told her to listen to her body. When she started to feel tired or hungry, let me know so we can take care of it before she got too emotional. We communicated frequently about how she was feeling. I empowered her to let me know when she wanted to stop what we were doing. She was surprisingly proactive with this. We managed the challenges and reaped tremendous benefits. For her, being in another country and culture helps build empathy. She couldn't understand the language, so her emotional sensing was heightened and incredibly accurate. She would see people's faces or photos and ask why they were sad or angry. She read the situation correctly the majority of time. Routine is helpful in raising children, but exposure to variety and the discomfort from being in the unknown can help build resilience and agility. The benefit to me is that we became closer than ever. She was completely reliant on me, and I was largely reliant on her to make sure things went smoothly. We worked well together as a team. I also got to see Germany through her eyes. She asked questions about things I didn't even see because I had seen them a hundred times before. That's one of the true beauties of traveling with a child. They see the world the way a child does, and therefore you do too. For days, I contemplated how I should try to explain the Berlin Wall to her. Throngs of people were taking pictures near one of the wall's memorials. She asked what everyone was doing. I told her that there used to be a wall here. I knew I couldn't talk about freedom or oppression. She wouldn't understand. I talked about family instead. I told her that the wall divided friends and family from each other and prevented them from seeing each other for a long time. She understood in a way that few of the adults around us did. She didn't think about how awful it is to have families split up. She thought about how awful it would be to have her family separated by the wall. Her eyes got big, and the rest of her face saddened. She lit up again when I told her the reason we are here is because we are celebrating the wall coming down and the families being able to see each other again. Since that exchange, I've thought a great deal about how different the world would be if we processed events like a three-year-old. If we put ourselves in the shoes of a father or mother leaving a war-torn country on a rubber raft, would it be so easy to close our doors on them? If we imagined the horror of having our child taken away from us as we crossed a border to seek a better life, would it be so easy to put the label of criminal on the people who have made that choice. A three-year-old traveling with me in Germany reminded me of the proper way to contemplate such things. My hypothesis all along has been that the world is better than ever, and Berlin is a perfect example of this. When I say the world is better than ever, people often say, what about student debt, or what about inequality, or how about jobs being shipped overseas? Sometimes I hear something like, no it isn't, the world used to be a lot better for me. I should clarify that when I say the world is better than ever, that does not mean there are not problems. There are many, many problems. The world being better than ever also does not mean that the world is better for each person on earth. It is not. Some people are being left behind because of social, technological, governmental, and other changes. But keep this in mind. We enjoy longer lives than ever before. 200 years ago, 90% of the world lived in abject poverty. Now it's less than 10%, and that number continues to shrink. We're able to fight diseases that used to mean certain death. Human rights have expanded dramatically over the last 100 years, over the last 50 years, and even over the last five years. It isn't perfect, but it is great progress. The world is safer. Child mortality continues to decline. Access to healthcare is growing. Food is more abundant than ever. That doesn't mean it's available to everyone. It's very hard for me to listen to people's beliefs that the state of the world is dire when the facts say otherwise. What is true is that not everyone has benefited from all these tremendous improvements. Some people have been passed by. The old, the rigid, The uneducated, the apathetic, have and will continue to struggle. I can't think of another place on earth that represents this like Berlin. November 9th, 1989, saw the wall come down. For the 16 million people living in East Germany, this was an incredible disruption. Almost every aspect of their life would change. For the people of West Germany, it wasn't a disruption, it was a change. Their day to day, would be pretty much the same. For clever, motivated, educated East Germans, there was unprecedented opportunity and freedom. This feels the same to me today as I look at a tsunami of new technology and a handful of powerful demographic shifts that will disrupt the next decade. The clever, motivated, educated around the world will harness these technologies and demographic shifts as they start new companies, solve big problems, and continue to improve the world. Some will be left flat-footed in the dust as these changes pass them by. That's the story of Berlin I thought I would tell. But there's another part of the story that I learned while I was there. Before we went to Berlin, my daughter and I visited Rüdiger Dreyer in a German city called Zost. Rüdiger and I have known each other since I lived in Zost 25 years ago. He studied in Berlin during the final days of the Wall and has an explanation for why the story of Berlin and the rest of the world isn't a simple one. We integrated the Eastern German people pretty well regarding economical issues, but uh, we forgot that they were educated in a system where everybody took responsibility for them, and they are not really happy, especially older people, are not really happy to have this responsibility now on their own shoulders. So uh, they are looking actually, and this is also shown in the, the elections we have, they are looking for stronger people who tell them what to do, how to do, where to go, and show easy solutions. And that's of course uh, yeah, what we call populism. So probably in English it's populism, I don't know. <laughs> when I listen to Rudiger talk about Germany, populism, and easy solutions, I think about the battle between beliefs And facts. Belief is a powerful thing. It's so powerful that it can outduel facts. Why do so many people believe that our best days are behind us? Ask your friends or family sometime if the world is better than ever. Surprisingly, few of them will admit that it is. They will have a host of reasons why their beliefs are the way they are. The earth is warming, the seas are dying, the middle class is eroding. Privacy is disappearing. We're uncivil to one another. Politicians don't represent the best interests of their people. While all of these things might be true, they are just problems in need of solutions. Once they are solved, which I strongly believe they can be, even global warming, other problems will take their place as they have throughout history. The story of Berlin 30 years after the wall is the story of the world. Both stories are complicated in a way that most people cannot understand. In 1989, the world was simple, it was binary. You had good and you had evil. In America and the rest of the West, we fought for freedom, for justice, for a better way of life. We were good. The Soviets and the communists were the evil empire. They were oppressive. They represented all that was awful in the world. Of course, if you were a Soviet or part of the communist bloc, you fought for the collective good of the people while your enemies were morally corrupt, materialistic, capitalist dogs. Simple. Black and white. Good and evil. In 2019, The world is certainly no longer binary. We don't know what is good and what is evil. We don't understand the new technologies that we are told will decimate the workforce. We are constantly bombarded by messages on the news and social media about threats to our very existence. Twice a year, we hear about a a once-in-a-hundred-year storm. Plastics litter our oceans. Glaciers and polar ice caps are melting and will flood our shores. Thirty years ago, world war was the one threat to our existence. Now, in this complicated world, it seems there are countless threats to our lives and livelihoods. It's no wonder a common response to this confusing, complex world is sadness, depression, sometimes even drugs or alcohol. Being out of control can be thrilling and exhilarating for a short time. For an extended amount of time, it is dangerous. We start to look for solutions that we can understand. This very likely explains why politicians around the world are serving up simple solutions to voters and followers. For some politicians, the solution is universal basic income. For others, it's putting a stop to immigration. Healthcare is what we need. No. It's really wiping out student debt. The truth is, none of these solutions will solve the world's problems. It's very likely we need a combination of a thousand solutions. That's messy. It's complicated. And that's our reality. I don't have a simple answer to these problems either. What I can offer, though, is a reminder that we are living in the best time in human history. That should make us all feel fortunate. I can offer a piece of advice, too. Since our world is no longer divisions of good and evil, we have a wonderful opportunity to take advantage of that. When we meet someone whose ideas differ from ours, rather than shutting down or shutting them out, we can approach them with civility. We can take time to understand their point of view and respectfully share ours. Maybe most importantly, when we talk to this person, rather than wondering why they are wrong, consider what led them to where they are and why they feel the way they do. Approach them with kindness and empathy. We could all benefit from that. That's the lesson I learned from a three-year-old, seven time zones away and 4,000 miles from home in Berlin on the 30th anniversary of the fall of the wall. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a genius.